Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He took the testimony and placed it in the ark, attached the poles to the ark and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Adrian, thank you very much for reading for us. Well, this morning we come to the end of our series in the book of Exodus. We've been on quite a journey through this uh, wonderful story and this morning we come to what is in many ways the climax of the most remarkable story and it is a remarkable climax So do have your Bibles open if you can on page 100 of the Pew Bibles, and as we turn to God's word, let's pray. Father, on this cold and wet winter morning, we do pray that you would lift our minds and our hearts above what we can see and perhaps what we feel. We pray that you would help us to believe the truth of your word, to believe the reality of the world around us. And so please fill our hearts with wonder and gratitude at all that you are doing in 
and through your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up, we used to play various games in the car to stave off boredom on long journeys. One of the most popular games was the time travel game. You probably know it. If you could go anywhere in the world at any time in history like that, where would you want to go? Perhaps back to the wonder of ancient Egypt with the pharaohs and the pyramids, or maybe to ancient Rome and all its pomp and glory, maybe to the moment when um, the first step on the moon was taken, all kinds of amazing uh, times and places to go to. In our car, often it ended up being McDonald's 10 minutes ago. I wonder where you would go before your minds wander too far this morning. Can I suggest that our reading from Exodus 40 has to be right up there at the, one of the most extraordinary moments ever recorded in the course of human history. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We live in a world very confused about God. There are many who deny that there is a God at all. They maintain that the course of human history is uncontrolled, undirected, and totally random. And that is why those same people are so upset at the moment at the way the world is turning out. With fighting and wars, election results, Brexit, all kinds of reasons to feel very uncomfortable about the course of an undirected history. Others claim that God is a metaphor, a symbol of hope, a heart longing we all have. There are others who claim that there are many gods, perhaps in competition with each other or perhaps ruling over only local areas. And into this confusion, Exodus has shown us what is really going on in the world. There is a God. He is not a metaphor or an ideology. He is not one of many gods or in competition with others. He is real. He is unrivaled. He is eternal. He is unstoppable. He has total power over the whole world, over all the created elements, over animals and kingdoms and seas and deserts. He moves nations as if they were but pawns on a chessboard. And he has a name. He is called the Lord. And this one true, utterly transcendent God comes down and fills the tabernacle with his glory. It would have been a most remarkable moment in the history of the world. And it's where the whole story of Exodus has been heading to all along. Uh, This morning we come to the end of our series and after all the slavery and the rescue and the events around the mountain, just imagine the mood in the camp at the end of verse 33. We read, so Moses finished the work. That is, God's house, the tabernacle, is now finished. What would happen next? You can imagine the people of God gathered around in their thousands with their necks craning, trying to see a little glimpse forward to the center of the camp where this tent had been built. What would happen next? And when the unthinkable happens and the Lord really does come down, there is no doubt about his presence. Whenever the queen is in residence in Buckingham Palace... The passing world can see where she is because there's a flag above the palace for the world to understand where she is. She's there, present in the house, so too here. 
at this most remarkable moment, God wants all the people to know that yes, indeed, he has arrived, not with a flag flying above the house, but look at verse 38. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. You see, there is no doubt about it. This is not the experience of one particular person. Uh, It's not just a a vision or a dream or, or, or a feeling. This actually happened in the course of human history in front of an entire nation for all to see. The one true God, the Lord himself, coming to dwell. And that is why this moment in history is such an extraordinary moment. For those of us who can't time travel, what are we to make of this ancient moment? It would be lovely to see it, but we're too late. So what should we take from it? Well, I've got two things for us this morning. First of all, this moment, well, it shows us that we can be confident about the Lord's mercy. Of course, we need to talk about the elephant in the room. Actually, it's it's more of of a calf with a golden hue. You see, this part of Exodus is a bit like a a sandwich. Uh, There are two lovely slices of bread that surround a a terrible filling. In this case, the slices of bread are the accounts of the tabernacle. Perhaps you've spotted how the the structure works in the books as we've gone through our our journey in Exodus. Um, There are seven chapters, Exodus 25 to 31, that explain the design of the tabernacle. And it's wonderful and thrilling. We saw this a number of weeks ago. That's the first slice of bread. And then here, Exodus 35 to 40, comes the exact same detail, almost word for word. But this time, the designs become a reality as the tabernacle's actually built. That's the second slice of the sandwich. And 13 chapters are given to these two slices, a third of a book that spans 40 chapters, a huge amount of space given to it. But in the middle of this sandwich is the filling the dreadful events at the mountain, the golden calf when God's people turned and rebelled against him in his ways. And the remarkable thing is that the plans become a reality despite what happens in the middle. Which means that if we had time to look through all the details of Exodus 35 to 40, every stitch of cloth, every curtain rail, every tent peg, Every little detail is a testimony to God's mercy. The words of Exodus 40 verse 17 are are wonderful indeed. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day, the first month of the second year. It's been a year since the rescue out of Egypt. Nine months since they arrived at the mountain. And what a year it's been. After all the rebellion and sin, the people, they're still alive. And the house of God has been built. And now we discover he actually comes to dwell amongst his people. And it shows us that we can be confident about the Lord's mercy. We may have seen the story in the news this week about a well-known political figure in the US who started a university in his name. I don't know all the details, but it seems that the course didn't deliver on its promises and there's been a big compensation claim and just this week, 20 million pounds was spent settling the claim out of court. It's 
so often our experience, isn't it, as we trust in human leaders, I've mentioned one particular leader, but we could name many others, who make big promises about what they can offer and what they'll be like, and yet when we experience the reality of living with their promises, it's far from what they promise. Again and again, it happens in the course of human history. But not so with the Lord. Back in Exodus 34, we've seen this a few weeks ago, he declared that he is a God who is compassionate and gracious, abounding in in mercy and love, forgiving his people. But for the Lord, it's not just empty, hollow promises or, or chat. No, it's a reality. He really is merciful. It changes what happens to us on the ground. And here at Exodus 40, we see that the fact that he comes and dwells amongst his people means he is actually merciful. He follows through with his promises. In reality, he does what he says for his people in extraordinary ways. And we too are people who have been rescued out of slavery and are on our way to the promised land of the new creation, journeying with the Lord. And as we live in a relationship with this same Lord, and as he makes promises to us about his mercy along the way, as we sin against him again and again, these words are tremendous comfort for us. For he is actually merciful, and he does actually forgive our sins. He does actually bear with us, And when he promises his presence, he does actually come and dwell with his people. A great comfort to us as we sin and rebel along the way with the Lord who is merciful. Of course, it's our great longing that little Lottie grows up this morning from today, experiencing and trusting in this wonderful mercy for herself. That's the first thing that we should see, I think, at this extraordinary moment in history. It shows us that we can be confident about the Lord's mercy. But our second point, and we'll spend much longer on this point, the second point is this. We can be confident about the Lord's plans for his people. When I was a teenager, my dad bought me a DIY radio kit for my birthday. I was very excited. I was a bit of a geek back then and probably still am now, to be honest. Um, But I launched myself into this uh, radio kit. There were circuit boards and microchips and capacitors everywhere, and I was soldering away, and I had a great time building this uh, radio. And when I finished the first major element of the radio, I came to test it. I was excited. It it was going to be amazing. Silence. Nothing worked. There was a problem somewhere. I had no idea where it was. And um, I ran a few tests. Nothing seemed to happen. Uh, The kit ended up sitting at the bottom of my wardrobe for a number of years, untouched, unloved, abandoned, and eventually it ended up in the bin. So often that's what happens with our human projects. We get excited for a season, we give it a go, we throw ourselves into them, but when things get tricky or difficult, often we back away and we abandon the plan for something else. But not so with the Lord. Here in Exodus, we see that the Lord sticks with his plan, and in particular, the extraordinary plan of dwelling with his people. You see, ever since the third page of the Bible, back in those early days, that close relationship between the Lord and his people that they enjoyed in the garden, which they lost because of their sin, ever since that third page of the Bible, the Lord has been at work to find a way to bring his people back into a relationship with him. That is his overarching plan for the whole Bible. 
and he will stick with his plan for eternity. It never changes. And here we see in Exodus 40, despite the sin of the people, the plan is still on course. Human history is not rudderless or pointless. The sovereign Lord is working out his plans to dwell with his people. But even at this great climatic moment in Exodus, there is a problem with the arrangements. Look at verse 35. As the glory of the Lord descends, verse 35, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The tent of meeting refers to the the first of the two rooms within the tabernacle. It's a room which Moses should have been able to go into. That's from previous parts of Exodus. Um, And throughout the book, Moses has the highest possible security clearance of anyone. He can access all areas. And yet here at this crucial moment, we discover he can't go into this first room of the tabernacle. Which means, even though this is a special place, the tabernacle, it can't be the final answer to God's great plan of dwelling with his people. If even Moses can't enter into God's presence. Wonderfully, as we read through the Bible, we find many centuries later that this pattern gets repeated, but then also fulfilled, not through a special place, but through a special person. Remember the famous words of John's gospel, John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, and we have seen his glory. Literally, the word Jesus Christ tabernacled amongst his people. And like Exodus 40, the people saw his glory. As we read through John's gospel, we find that Jesus has come to destroy the physical temple and to replace it with his own body as he dies to um, make possible access between a sinful humanity and a holy God. The temple destroyed, but the access made possible through his death. And as we build up once again to Christmas, as we've seen this morning, Do so with great joy, for the special place has been fulfilled by the special person. And so we all have access to the Lord's presence through Jesus Christ. Invite your friends, bring them in. They too need access to God through Jesus Christ. A special place in Exodus points us forward to a special person. But what about us here today? For we cannot see Jesus. He is back in heaven. The final step in this plan is, well, I think it's breathtaking because we discover that the Lord has come to dwell not in a special place, fulfilled through a special person, but now among a special people. If you have a Bible, do turn forward to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 2. It's on page one thousand. 174 in the Pew Bibles. 1174. Ephesians 2. Here Paul is talking about the people of God, the church, us, here this morning. And he says, verse 21. In him, that is in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place 
in which God lives by his spirit. Truly remarkable words. Where does God dwell now? Not in a physical temple, not in a church building, not here at the front behind a rail or or a rope. No, he dwells amongst his gathered people, the church, us here today. Now, we need to be careful because in a very real and important sense, God dwells within every Christian by his spirit. I think that's why at Pentecost, when the spirit was first poured out, um, we we saw that happening by tongues of fire um, dancing above the heads of the Christians. I think an echo back to the tabernacles, the pillar of fire was above the, the tabernacle there, showing that God had come to dwell not in a special place, but in his people. So in a very real sense, every Christian has the spirit of God dwelling in them. We have access through Jesus. I get uncomfortable when I hear in certain church circles, meetings beginning with words like, come, let's draw together into God's presence as we sing. I want to say, no, we're already in the Lord's presence because of Jesus. We can't draw any further in. And yet, I wonder if in spotting that danger, we go too far the other way. And we downplay the significance of what happens when God's people gather together as church, like we are here this morning. In Ephesians 2 and elsewhere in the Bible, 1 Peter, 1 Corinthians 3 and so on, we are told again and again that when God's people gather together, they are a living temple where the Lord dwells. And so he is present even here this morning in a way that I don't think he is present in other moments. The living temple of Ephesians 2, the the building work that Paul is talking about, he's referring to when God's people come together. That's clear from the rest of his letter in Ephesians 4. It it involves us speaking the truth and love to other Christians. That must be a moment of togetherness. Ephesians 5 talks about when we speak and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together. The Lord's great plan to dwell with his people, foreshadowed in the tabernacle, Exodus 40, fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, now being worked out today in a special people, the church, us here today. When we get our thinking clear on this, I think it changes everything about how we view our gathered moments together as God's people. This is, this is amazing what's being taught here. We've got some time before we finish. I want to just linger over some of the extraordinary realities that we discover in God's word. It means that there should be a joy, a sense of expectation surrounding our weekly gatherings. For the Lord dwells amongst us when we gather. You may have come across in the last few weeks something on social media called the Mannequin Challenge. Um, It's on social media and the internet. Um, It's a slightly bizarre challenge, but it involves people posing in a very fixed positions. They sort of freeze in in uh, mid-action. And then pictures are taken of of their sort of posture. And it's become quite trendy to kind of take up bizarre and radical poses to take pictures and put it on social media. There's various sports teams who have done it. Last week, the top eight tennis players in the world all posed frozen in time as mannequins. And it's kind of a craze at the moment, sort of freezing yourself in time. Over the years, I have to say, I've been to various church meetings that have felt a bit like an unplanned mannequin challenge. 
dare I say it, wooden singing, unengaged listening to sermons, distracted prayers, and only when the meeting ends are there signs of life. Now, thankfully, that's not been my experience here at Forward. I, I think we do sing very well. I think we sing with hearts that are engaged and sincere. It's, it's a privilege to stand here and look out and see hundreds of faces looking back up at me because you're engaging with God's word, thinking it through. There is a sense of honesty and integrity about our gatherings, and that is good and right. I think the challenge for us is to not to take that for granted, to not allow ourselves to coast or become complacent. I do wonder how many of us spend time preparing our hearts before we gather, perhaps on a Saturday night or early on a Sunday morning, remembering that as we gather, we are in a special sense in God's presence, that even now, despite the cold and the rain, he is here amongst us. This is an awesome, glorious moment that we won't find anywhere else in the week. As we hear God's word read and proclaimed, as we sing truth to one another and pray to this God, he is amongst us. What a thought that is. It's not always easy to remember this, though, is it? Often our experience of church doesn't feel that glorious. Perhaps the sermon is dull or too long. Perhaps we come with a heavy heart. Perhaps we find other people gathered difficult. Perhaps the style of music isn't to our taste. I have to say there are times in my own experience when I've had to drag myself to gather with God's people. I'm not saying that we should always find church gatherings easy or when we meet for our small group Bible study. Life and emotions are far too complicated for that. But I am saying that we should let scripture shape how we think about God's people gathered, the church. The Bible says that when we gather, the awesome Glorious, unique, all-powerful Lord comes and dwells amongst his people, a living temple. The other way I think it should impact us is that we should have a tremendous desire to see God's temple grow. There's a lovely verse back in Exodus chapter 36. Don't turn to it now, but if you want to take notes, Exodus 36 verse 7, the people have been asked to bring gifts of gold and silver and building materials and also their skills to bring these things to the Lord such that the tabernacle could be built. It's a free offering of their resources. And wonderfully, Exodus 36 verse 7, the people respond with such wholehearted zeal that they have to be told to stop bringing materials. There's too much. We have enough to build the temple of God. And that's the right response when you think that the Lord might come and dwell amongst you. How much more should we be a people who are zealous to see God's temple built? I'm not talking about a physical temple of bricks and mortar. I'm talking about people. God's living temple. The place where he dwells. We should be people with extraordinary zeal. A willing heart. A desire to see that temple built up gloriously. Uh, This could include numbers being added as we talk to our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues. Come, would you hear about Jesus? Find out about how to know God. Or it means encouraging Christians, seeing them built up in their faith in Christ. It would change, I think, how we view our times on a Sunday. We might come early and leave late to give us extra time to talk to other Christians. 
It might mean that we think of a way to speak truth and love to one another, an encouraging word, an opportunity to pray. It might change how we view coming to a small group, not because we necessarily enjoy it or find it easy, but coming because we know that our presence there will be a blessing to other Christians and they will be built up by our involvement in the study. We all have opportunities, gifts, skills, ability, time to serve and build up the body of Christ that is a living temple. And I have to say again at Forward, this happens so often. It's wonderful to see. There are hundreds of people here who are busy doing living temple work, building up the body of Christ, serving sacrificially week in, week out. Uh, Thank you for doing it. It is wonderful to see a sign of God's presence amongst us. It's an encouragement to keep going. Keep using your gifts and abilities. Temple building is a magnificent and glorious activity. Building up the people of God. If we could go anywhere at any time in the course of human history, where would we go? As stunning as Exodus 40 is, what is happening here this morning, God's people gathered, is even more momentous. Is there any time or place better than being part of church now? I can only think of one, actually. That moment in the new creation when we are gathered with God's people and are able to see him face to face, enjoying his presence for eternity. But until then, it is good. It is very good to be with God's people as he builds us into a living temple. We can be confident about the Lord's plans. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again as we come to the end of this book of Exodus for all that we've seen about your amazing character, your power, your might, your compassion, your faithfulness, your mercy. And we thank you this morning that you are a God that sticks to your plans, your remarkable plans of of dwelling with your people. Please help us to believe your word on this. Help us to spend our time and our energy and our, our motives correctly. Please, would you grow your people here at Forward, not for our glory, but for your glory. Help us to view rightly what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.